Hey podcast people, how's it going? Azrin the Language Nerd here. Hope you're doing very, very well on this fine Friday afternoon or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. I'm your host, as per usual, Azrin the Language Nerd. You can find me primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, and of course on Twitter. My username on all these platforms is exactly the same. It is at polyglotazrin. That is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T. AZ or Z, depending on your country, R-E-N. You can also simply search Azrin the Language Nerd on whatever your favorite social network is. Again, that is spelled A-Z or Z-R-E-N, the Language Nerd. And welcome to another podcast episode. I am very, very excited, as per usual, to be recording this one here. I want to start things off on a non-language learning note. And it's an interesting question that I think all of us should think about and all of us should consider. And it's the following. What makes you happiest? The reality is we're all different. We had different upbringings. We have different DNA. We have different belief systems. We live in different countries. We live in different situations. All of us are 100% different. Like no one is exactly the same. And what that means is that there's different things that make us happiest and that make us feel fulfilled and that make us overall feel like we're in a good mood. And I've realized that at least for myself, one of the one of the core things that makes me happiest is being productive and making progress. This works in various elements of my life. This works in language learning. I feel really happy when I start to progress and I feel productive with my languages. This works in my line of work in terms of my business when I'm making more sales or finding more students or making more content or whatever it is, right? Growing our, our drop-in classes, having more teachers who work for me, having more and progressing and being productive at work really drives me and gives me a lot of energy. Um, in terms of my health and my fitness, you know, trying to progress and the challenge of trying to figure out how I can get more fit and how I can become healthier, especially when it's something that doesn't necessarily come natural to me. I'm not someone who enjoys trying to eat healthier. I'm not someone who necessarily enjoys exercising and fitness and being active. It does not come natural to me whatsoever. So trying to overcome that hurdle of doing something which is good for me, which is being healthier, while biologically wanting to eat junk food and wanting to watch too much Netflix at night and not get the right amount of sleep and on and on and on, trying to overcome that challenge and make the right decisions you know, I feel proud of myself when I make the right decisions. And that's a, it's a big motivating, it's a big driving factor in my life. So much so to such an extent that when I am not productive for too long, I actually feel unhappy. I remember I was on a one week, basically the only real week of holiday I've had in all of, I had in all of 2019 was between like Christmas Eve slash Christmas all the way till about New Year's, New Year's Day. So that seven day, eight day, maybe nine days, I was almost entirely on vacation, like vacation mode. <clears throat> I was not working, I was not making content, I was not really teaching. I maybe had like one random student here and there, but I was not teaching, I wasn't really answering emails. Like I was completely checked out. And I've gotta be honest, while it was nice, for a few days, 
I'll be real with you, the last four, five, six days were not good. I was feeling lethargic, I wasn't happy, I was eating way more junk food than usual, and and I was way less disciplined, and I could feel the physical effects on my body and my mind. I was not feeling as good as I typically do. And now that I'm back into my usual rhythm of being productive, I feel way happier. And that's just me. I don't think that's necessarily a right or wrong way to live life. But all of us have different have different pillars that matter to us. And I think one of the one of the things that one of the things that is important is to try and maximize those pillars as much as you can. So myself, for me, it's productivity. Productivity and progress. That those are two pillars that that make me really, really happy. And so I try to maximize on those two pillars. Maybe for you it's family. Maybe for you it's friends. Maybe for you it's playing sports. Maybe for you it's making content. Maybe for you, who knows what it is, but you have to try and find what those core pillars are and you have to maximize, maximize the amount of effort, the time and energy that you put into those particular pillars so that you can feel good. A quick tangent, it's a side story, but a really interesting one. I had an anthropological experience about a month ago. I think I might have shared this story on the podcast. I don't remember anymore, but I'll share it regardless. So uh, one of my really, really close friends, we have a mutual friend. This mutual friend is someone that I knew growing up as a child, but then kind of lost contact with in my teenage years. And this mutual friend is my friend's friend as an adult, as in they met in adulthood, and I met this friend in childhood, and I reconnected with this friend through my childhood friend through my adult friend, my current good friend. Okay, so we re reconnected. And I was at uh, this mutual friend. Let's give some names here. Let's call the mutual friend, I don't know, uh, Sally. Let's call her that. I went to Sally's birthday party with my very good with my very good friend that I've known for a long time. And, you know, everybody at this birthday party, like, I don't know anybody. I don't know. I know, like, one or two people max. These are all brand new people. And I'm spending time with them. I'm like actually observing their human behavior. I'm observing how they behave. I'm observing their lifestyles. I'm talking to them. I'm asking them what they do in life, how they view things. Like I'm really curious because as you probably know, or I mean, at least at some level, you know, all of us, we kind of spend time with the same type of people. It's rare for us to be stuck with a group of people that is very different than who we typically hang out with unless you travel a lot or whatever it is, but generally we're, we're kind of stuck in our own routines and our own circles. So this is a rare opportunity for me to get out of my usual circle and like be around people that I typically wouldn't be around. So I'm asking them questions and I realized that for this group of people, a lot of them anyway, maybe not all of them, but most of them I would say, at least based on who I talk to, one of their core pillars that makes them happy and that brings them a level of fulfillment is fun. Having fun is one of their key things that makes them truly fulfilled and happy. They want to go dancing. They want to go sing in karaoke. They want to go travel. They want to experience mountain biking. They want to they want to do lots of different types of activities that make them feel like, yeah, I'm having fun. And that's just not a core value for me while doing quote unquote fun activities like mountain biking or singing or going dancing or whatever, going to the pub, I enjoy them. But if I was doing that all the time, like, man, 
it would not drive a level of happiness in me. I'd much rather be productive at work that, or like be productive with languages or whatever, try and get healthier. Those things actually make me happier. So all of that to say, it's been just past eight minutes here, all that to say that I want everybody to think about what kind of makes you happiest and try and maximize and try and maximize that. Changing gears a little bit, still on a similar topic, but moving on to something a little different. You know, I think my, my one of my friends put it best. Um, Jesse, you guys know Jesse. You guys, at least he's been on the podcast once or twice. I've talked about him a couple times. Jesse's one of my closest friends. Um, so Jesse said something really interesting to me, uh, maybe a month ago, give or take, you know, I was having this conversation about Jesse around happiness, right? The same thing I just told you guys for eight minutes, I was talking to Jesse about this and Jesse came back to me and said, well, Azrin, you know, you have to think about, it's not just happiness. It's like meaning what, 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 what feels meaningful? What brings your life meaning? Like seek out meaning, not happiness. To me, it's kind of one in the same in many ways. But it was a very interesting point, right? <clears throat> because Jesse was saying that if you seek happiness, you might go into drugs. You might go into just drinking alcohol. You might just go into doing things that bring you short-term pleasure, but in the long-term kind of shoot you in the foot. In the long-term, don't do you any good. Now, my counter argument is yes, but then eventually you should realize that the short-term happiness things are not actually making you happy because it only makes you happy for an hour and then you're unhappy for seven. So it was an interesting little discussion, but I wanted to bring, wanted to include that little piece with Jesse because, you know, I thought it was relevant. Okay, let's go into language learning topics. It's been enough ramblings about life topics. Let's go into some language learning things. Um, I think the major, the major language learning thing that, that I'm thinking about today is using common sense. I think common sense is something that we, like nobody really has it. Like, in other words, I should rephrase that. Common sense is actually not that common. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Common sense is not that common. We think, you know, common sense is common, but it's not. Common sense is actually developed with a lot of time, practice, experience, study, um, um, getting smarter, getting more skilled. Like really, it takes a lot of work to develop a good level of common sense, I think. Because to have a good level of common sense, you almost need to, you need to be seeing life clearly past all of your pre preconceptions, past all of your emotions. You have to kind of see very clearly, which requires a, a state of mind, which most of us don't really have, right? And so common sense when it comes to language learning, I think is something that is lost. You know, what happens is that we often ask a lot of questions, like how do I get better at grammar? How do I get better at the speaking thing? Oh my God, this grammar point in Mandarin so hard. Oh, this pronunciation so difficult. Oh, I can never remember how to write these characters. We all have these different challenges that we experience in our respective target languages. And I've got to be real, in my perspective, eight times on 10 or seven times on 10 or a good percentage of the time, I don't know what percentage, but a good percentage of the time, the answer to your problem is something that is actually reasonably common sense. It's not actually that difficult, but we just don't see that common sense answer. And this is something I was just, I was just thinking a lot about this. I was really, really thinking about it recently. Um, and I don't know how we're supposed to develop that common sense. I don't know. Maybe it's something that we just won't develop. Maybe 
It just requires some extra awareness. Like, I don't know, maybe do we have to meditate so we're in a quieter state of mind? Like, I have no idea. But that common sense element is something that we need to, we need to have a bigger focus on it because often the answers to our questions are not that complex. It's not that hard to figure out whatever challenge we're having in whatever language or languages we're trying to learn. Another language learning topic that is on my mind today, <coughs> excuse me, um, is around uh, vocabulary. Vocabularies is something I've been thinking a lot about because it's funny, right? Um, I was talking to one of my Taiwanese friends who lives in who lives in Calgary here. He's on. He's here for another six or eight months, something like that. And I was talking to him the other day, and we're discussing progress in terms of learning another language. He's currently learning uh, English, Spanish, and Japanese. Those are kind of three languages he's trying to pick up. So, obviously, putting a lot of time towards it. And we're discussing, like, you know, what, like, like, wh what are the challenges of progressing through the different language levels, and how much knowledge does it really take for one to have, let's call it, a near-native level of fluency? This is something we were debating. And one topic that we got on was vocabulary. Just how much vocabulary is needed to achieve a near native level of fluency. Because if you want to be near native, you have to think about the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of words that the human brain, that, that native speakers have in their brain, assuming they have a certain level of education. They have a lot of words. They like, they know a lot of different words. They have so many in their mind that for you to <clears throat> achieve a level that is comparable, that is a near native level, you're also going to need those thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of words in your brain. And that's such a long journey. It's a long, long, long journey. And the gap between someone who is at an upper intermediate level, or even maybe an advanced level, the gap between that and someone who is at a near native level is extreme. You know, I'll give you a quick little story here. Um, <clears throat> when I, uh, when I, you know, I speak French and Spanish very, very well, right? Um, and I'll watch like a video or I'll talk to someone or whatever it is. You know, in most life scenarios, most of the time when most people blah, 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 I'm going to be just fine. There's going to be no issues. I'll know all the words I need to know. I'm gonna understand everything you say, and we're gonna be just fine. But at the same time, you know, I'm not a native speaker, which means that there are maybe some simple situations sometimes where you could put me in and I'm pretty confused. And I'm like, this is kind of difficult because I don't have the experience that a native speaker has. So a good example of this is, uh, I remember when I was, talk I was talking to this child in Spanish one of my friends has a daughter. She's a, one of my friends is a, is a native Spanish speaker and she has a, a daughter who is uh, five years old. Yeah, five years old. And I remember the first time I met this five-year-old child, right? Who didn't really speak a lot of English, like basically just spoke Spanish. Um, Cause she'd grown up at home, lived with mom and dad and hadn't really gone to school yet or was just starting to go to school rather. And I remember talking to the child and I understood when I first met her, 25% something like that, 25% of what she would say, 50% of what she would say, it was really hard. And my friend was kind of like, oh, you didn't understand that? I was like, 
no, what did she say? What, what was that? She'd be like, oh, she said blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, why, why didn't I understand that? And then I realized I've had, you know, I have had more experience now, but at the time I had minimal experience, <clears throat> you know, talking to children in Spanish, meaning I wasn't used to their cadence. I wasn't used to how they kind of put words together. Someone who's a native speaker is not going to have that challenge. And that's just a real kind of demonstration. It's a real, it's a real life example that really clearly displays that you could be so strong. Heck, you could even be near native in another language. You could be amazing. But there's so many little situations that you're not even, you're not even going to realize that they're there that a native speaker would find super duper easy, but you're going to struggle with because you just haven't had that experience yet. Um, it's kind of like if you, it's kind of like if you were, uh, how do I say this? It's kind of like when you start learning a language, it's like you're a newborn baby. And every year that you study that language, you've gained one year in age, something like that. So if you've studied a language for 15 years, let's say, and you've been pretty diligent, it's like you're, you have a 15 year old version of you inside of you. And a 15 year old, let's say you take a 15 year old, right? A random 15 year old. They're obviously very strong at whatever their mother tongue is. They're very good, they're strong, they're knowledgeable, blah, 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 blah. But they can't do everything. <clears throat> they can't do everything. Like 15 year old Azrin, you know, struggled to actually talk on the phone in a way that sounded coherent. 27-year-old Azarin doesn't really struggle to talk on the phone anymore. 15-year-old Azarin could not write a 20-page paper. 27-year-old Azarin can write a 20-page paper. There's a clear gap in level, right? 15-year-old Azarin didn't know how to talk to kids, even in English. I felt very awkward with kids in English. 27-year-old Azarin has figured out how to talk to kids in English and be more natural about it. Because I've talked to more kids, I've worked with more kids, I've tutored more kids, I've done it now, right? So, and that's gonna happen to you in your target languages too. It's just gonna happen. And so maybe a good way to finish this podcast off is I think perhaps the, a good, a good, you know, uh, maybe target or goal for learning another language is yes, achieve a high level of fluency, but develop the skill set of being able to, maybe you wanna get to the point where you have a skill set of not knowing how something's working in a language, like you are talking to someone, you're struggling, you're not understanding, but being able to problem solve that quickly, being able to get over that hurdle quickly. A couple fast examples. Um, I remember I was in Chile, when I was in Chile, they have a lot of slang in Chile. And I was like, the first week, I understood 25% of what people would say in casual situations. But I had the ability to figure that out and problem solve, solve that. So by week two and a half, I was already up to 60, 70% understanding what people said. Cause I learned all the Chilean slang. I wrote it down. I listened carefully and I figured it out fast. I was teaching someone who actually listens to the podcast. We were listening to a video together, one of my students, and it happened to have a, a speaker from the Dominican Republic. When I first started listening to her, I was like, what the hell is she saying? Like I understood like no joke, a quarter of what she would say. I was like, whoa, what is she saying? But after 12 minutes, me listening and like trying to kind of hack and figure out what her accent's like and figure it out. After 12 minutes, I was already up to 50, 60% of what she was saying. And if I spent an hour listening to that person, I would have figured it out. Like I'd be at 80, 90%. I'd be just fine. I'd have, I'd have figured it out, right? So that's kind of a skill set that I think is for the advanced, advanced speakers. It's a useful skill set to have so that you're able to, in those difficult situations where you haven't had experience with a specific 
you know um type of vocabulary or a specific type of conversation a specific accent you have the skill set of picking it up and problem solving that fast anyway let's wrap this podcast up here appreciate your attention we will talk very very soon bye for now